Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And uh, a subject this week which is quite fascinating. I've had some experience of it, but not that much. And uh, It's something that needs to be talked about, and I have with me a real interesting advocate of uh, the subject of Alzheimer's, and more particularly the subject of early onset Alzheimer's. So uh, without further ado, let's introduce our our guest, Pat Moffat. Hi, Pat. Hi, how are you today? I'm very good indeed. I can tell from the accent you're across, across the pond. Where are you today? What accent? I don't understand what accent. What's this accent thing? I'm on Long Island, New York. And it's about 95 degrees out, so we're, we're going to, it's going to be hot today. It sounds absolutely blissful. So I'm very, very jealous, and uh, we're not allowed to travel anymore to see you guys over there, but uh, hopefully yeah. we'll be back there soon. So enjoy uh, let's hope so. time. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, well, tell me a little bit about what it is that you do, Pat. I've sort of talked a little bit about your uh, this, this, this cause or passion of yours, but um, tell us a little bit about what, you, what it is that you do today, these days. Well, I, I wrote the book Ice Cream in the Cupboard in 2010 while I was still working uh, in international logistics, mm. which is my for some oh, 53 years. And I retired in 2017. And during this period of time with the uh, getting the book out and uh, seeing what awareness I was trying to raise on early onset Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's in general, it didn't seem to be missing the mark as much as I would have liked. Mm. Uh, so as time went on and then I retired and had more time to vote to it, to devote to it, uh, I wanted to make a film and, and got lucky one day and met someone on an airplane on the way to LA and was an author. We exchanged books. I got a phone call two days later saying, hey, you got to make a movie out of this thing. You know, and, and that's what started everything in 2017. So I retired then and devoted the last three, four years right to the, uh, to the film. So what we're really talking about here, we say Alzheimer's and early onset. There's no, the, the disease is bad at any level, we all know that. But on the early onset cases, the caregiver can be in great jeopardy uh, versus the caregiver for a, more of an elderly onset caregiver. And that's because the physical strength of the early onset uh, patient or loved one uh, is uh, quite strong. There's nothing else going on with them except their brain, which is beta amyloid protein that goes and grows in the back of the brain and kills memory cells and, and generally just deteriorates the entire brain. But the what happens to them over time is they become very angry, 
very, uh, some of them just have a level of agitation and some of them have just incredible uh, violent behavior. And such was the case with Carmen, uh, her two sisters and her brother, they all were diagnosed in their 50s and all of them died in their 60s. So that being a very rare mutation right there. Right, okay, so 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 that's interesting. So Alzheimer's and early onset Alzheimer's are the same thing, just one arrives earlier than the other, simple as that. Correct. Very good. And, and, so, and so the any physical manifestations of that are more extreme because the person who's having it earlier has all the physicality associated with a younger person. Correct, and uh, it accelerates quicker. Right. Onset versus the other. So yes. medications that have been trying to change the symptoms over the years, um, they've been more effective with the elderly cases. I see. Some in the younger, but in my wife's case, medication had no effect whatsoever. Okay, so let's, before we come on to a specific situation, if you wouldn't mind, how, how would a person begin to recognize the fact that they might have Alzheimer's? Because some of the effects or some of the manifestations of it are quite similar just to normal aging or other forms of dementia, aren't they? Yeah, you, you would think, and, and of course, uh, when we hear about Alzheimer's today, the first thing we think of is memory. Yes. Wait a minute, you know, I, I, did, I did a couple of radio shows when the book first came out, and some of them were calling night shows out on the West Coast or something. I don't know how many people told me, listen, Mr. Offord, I got up to go to my car today three times, and I forgot my key. Yeah. I had Alzheimer's. No, you're probably pretty good. Yeah. But the President of the United States is, then we're wrong. You know. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, the, the acceleration is, is, uh, is pretty big time. And, and so that, that's where this violent behavior begins to turn from. Uh, sometimes the behavior will peak at a violent level and just drop off. And then they become more of a quiet, docile kind of thing, person. Uh, and then sometimes it just keeps going, which is what Carmen's case. So, so, so do, do, yeah. does everyone become... Uh, angry and aggressive, or uh, there's some pretty placid people all the way through, aren't there? Oh, no, there, you can go all the way through. Yeah, it's not every case, not by far, right. but it's, you need to prepare for. Right. Because think, uh, one of my social workers here, Barbara Vogel, that I've worked with with Alzheimer's as well, she, she kind of looked at uh, this uh, described early onset as uh, flicking a light switch. Right. But when the light gets switched on, you better be ready. And, and it literally can be that sudden, can it? Yes, absolutely. So oh. you can be, you can be, and, 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 and well, tell us your story then, because my understanding is it was that sudden, wasn't it? So, so tell me about your situation, what happened, how you first well, got to notice this. Yeah, the situation with my wife was we, we seemed to be arguing a lot and bickering, and, and uh, of course, the, the husband always says, how's the wife's fault, and that kind of thing. But uh, it, something was going on always too much, and I, I wanted to do something for her. So I thought we were working pretty hard. We had raised the five kids. And uh, something was going on. I said, let's go to Puerto Rico for a nice romantic weekend. And she said, okay with that. And she seemed kind of quiet down on the flight. It's just three hours from New York. And uh, we got down to Puerto Rico, checked in the hotel and uh, went out to dinner. And at dinner, I was just walking over the veranda of this beautiful restaurant. And, and it, I saw these great cars, 52 Chevy, 57 Ford. And I said, wow, with the temperature down here, they can maintain these cars. Mm. And I look back at her from looking away and she hit me in the face with an entire plate of steak and lobster. Wow. It was just delivered to the table. No arguing, no drinking, just hit me. Right. Really was bolted out of the chair and hit the table behind me with my head and she ran out of the restaurant. So they picked me up and, and uh, 
I tried to pay the check and we made it. He said, no, just, just take care of your wife. Don't worry. And so I started running down uh, this main drag in San Juan. And then the, the police were watching this too. And they started following me. Right. So I kind of caught up to her and she was still very angry at who knew what. And police came and said, you know, do you have everything under control here, senor? And I said, yeah, we'll be fine. We just had a little spat. We'll be okay. And she was still very angry. And so I was able to get the thing temporized. Yes. Got, in, got into a taxi and got her back to the hotel. As soon as we went into the hotel room, she said, laid down on the bed, didn't say a word, and went to sleep. And we're only talking about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. Mm. I went out on the terrace, grabbed three, three beers out of the refrigerator, and drank them fast as I could. I was just shaking. Yeah. I was 49 years old at that time. She was 53. She's four years older than I am. I'm not connecting this to anything in the world. Yeah. Just like all she does, and maybe she wants a divorce. Maybe that separation after all. And so none of the Alzheimer's, that never came to be. As I'm sitting there, maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, she walks outside and she said, honey, I am starved. What are we going to eat? Ah, wow. Eat? I said, I tried that and you threw your food at me. She said, that's ridiculous, Patrick. You know, you joke around too much. Why would I throw food at you? I wouldn't do anything bad like that. I was just completely stunned. I was so frightened. I just called the airline and got a flight for the next morning. Right. As as I could get out of there and get home. Now, when she got home, you know, things, it wasn't, there was another couple of incidents in Puerto Rico that are in the book, but we got home and she seemed to level off a little bit almost seemed like you went back to normal and you yes. no experience in this. You're almost tempted to say, um, well, whatever it was must have passed. Yes. It was You're something about the air in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Correctly. Yeah. And, and, you know, you just, you don't want to remember that anymore. And that wasn't the case. And uh, so I wanted to get her to a doctor. I started seeing more forgetfulness and a little more anger. She refused to go to the doctor saying there's something wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. You keep insisting on this doctor. So I, I was just thinking about this, and <clears throat> I said, um, We went food shopping one day and um, came back. She put the groceries away, and I went to the dry cleaners to pick up some clothes. And I came back and I saw this white liquid on the floor. And I followed it into the pantry or the cupboard, as we call it here sometimes, and went through and checked all the shelves. And there was a deflated box of vanilla ice cream. And I said, "Hun, you, you put the ice cream away, lightning speed or something." Here, I said, uh, "You know, the, the the ice cream's in the cupboard instead of the freezer." She said, "I didn't do that. Why do you blame me for everything? Why don't you blame those damn kids upstairs? Well, our kids were long gone, long gone. College and moved away, and and that sort of thing it was just her and I and the dog." And um, I so I just said to myself, "If I have to throw a net over or throw in the trunk tomorrow, I got to get to a doctor." Yeah. That, that next day, he was working as a budget administrator in the local elementary school. And of course, if I'm saying things that are pretty messed up, they're probably seeing something too, but they never called me. And uh, as it turned out, they told her, listen, Carmen, everything about your job is falling apart. We don't know what happened to you, but we suggest that you take this test over at the local hospital. And if you don't take it, we're going to have to let you go for cause. Right. So if, if they let you go and you had something wrong with you, of course, here we get state disability and you have an income forever. Yeah. Yeah. 
but you have to get, that has to be the clear. And so hearing that she went and, and, and got that test, uh, failed it within 10 minutes and they knew right away. So she came home that night and she said, and to ease the blow on me, he said, honey, I want to talk to you for a minute. And I said, sure, what's up? Huh? And she said, I have a touch of Alzheimer's. <laughs> Isn't that like being a little bit pregnant? Yeah. Know? And uh, and that's what we that was the diagnosis. And that was the first day that I knew that I was in for a pretty tough time. Mm. Of course, I kept thinking, well, all this other stuff will go away, forgetfulness and all. And it just got, the forgetfulness will stay, but maybe the violent behavior will just, well, it never calmed down. Right. There were, there were several other incidents and, and on life went. And so... And so what's life like for the carer? Because because people, I mean, I, I have a friend who, who actually had, had dealt with something similar to this. And it was, I mean, it was awful, awful. And she gave her life to him for a certain period of time. And you know, it was horrendous. And he just, yeah, he just fell apart in front of her eyes in a sense, which was, you know, yes. so, so how is it as a carer? What, what do you do? Well, what, what support happens? What, what takes place? The, the one of the things I, I always profess in all these um, podcasts or whatever is the caregiver has to take care of themselves. Yeah. Otherwise, the disease will claim two people. Yeah. Caregiver and the loved one. And so they're going to get this some family support. In my case, uh, I had out everywhere, uh, and and people get a little standoffish when they hear it's Alzheimer's. You know, people that you thought, hey, this is my buddy. He'll take care of me, and he'll jump right in here. You know. Never got a call. And uh, so you hire people. So I hired a, a professional caregiver. Here's a mistake that I made that I always like caregivers to think about. Don't forget, my wife was five foot tall, very slim, great shape physically, and uh, hired a lady from, from an agency. They told me she works really well with Alzheimer's patients. So I went, okay, great. And the lady came with a bunch of mind games uh, that they had back in that time to keep the massaging. I went, well, she came prepared. This is pretty cool. Now I can go to work and feel good, you know. And it was expensive, but that's one of the things it's going to do. This will drain your finances. And um, I uh, came. I was about five days on the job, and I'm coming home from work. I left work a little early that day, and I see a construction job in, in the street. A couple of guys with helmets on, and I see my wife with a helmet on. Carmen, what is this? So I pulled the car over, and I said, "Hi, guys." I said, uh, "He said, Who, you know her." And I said, that's ah, my wife. He says, well, we're, we don't know what to say. We were just going to call 911, the police. And I said, I'm sorry. She has early onset Alzheimer's. And apparently she got away from her caregiver. With that, the caregiver comes flying around the corner. The caregiver was very much overweight. I didn't say that part before. Nice. I didn't connect that. So I should give her that was in good physical shape. That's going to be able to chase her. Yeah. She gets the door. You got to find her. But they're walking traffic. They don't know red from green anymore. Yes. Bars or red light and so on. They may forget, have forgotten that. They'll be killed. So I always tell caregivers, make sure you get someone that not only understands this disease, but get someone that's in good physical shape. Wow. But at a point in time, she got punched out a couple of times. I got a second caregiver. She got punched out and roughed up. Everybody quit. My housekeeper, who had been with us for 10 years, she quit because Carmen looks at these people as intruders. Yeah. To me and my husband is what's going on here. So they all quit, and I, uh, my next step was to, <clears throat> I'm trying to, I always tell caregivers, try to keep your job if you are working. But uh, the next step was to Alzheimer's daycare. Right. 
a daycare center uh, right nearby the house. And it was recommended by the people and everybody kind of knew Carmen's case by that time. She was only 53. And um, so I got her in there and it was like $1,400 a week or whatever it was, very, very expensive. And that was 15 years ago. You know. So they got her in and it was about oh, two weeks. I said, mom, this is working pretty good. I drop her in the morning, I bathe her, drop her off, pick her up after work, you know, get into some kind of routine. And they called me up one day and they said, we think you better get over here in a hurry. I was in my office. I says, she says, well, we have a problem. It's okay, everybody's okay, but come on over to the office today. So I left work and went over there. And as it turned out, uh, Coleman punched out a 90-year-old man pretty badly around the eyes. And being that age, they bruised terribly. Yes, yes. You know, it, it could have been one punch and looked like 30. Ooh. You know, so I, I said, they said, this is what happened, but we want to let you know that both you and us as the facility are responsible for the behavior of an Alzheimer's patient that causes that problem. You could have a legal action taken by the family of that man. Oh my goodness. So, you know, the family of course understood and they, they kind of knew what the story about Carmen and, and, and he was going to recover with no permanent damage. But of course that was the end of the line and they care. You know, yeah. they, they don't want to be sued. Mr. Moffat, take your wife and now move her out of here. See, so there you go again, everything is starting to fail. Yeah. So I reached the point and I went to the Alzheimer's, the, the neurologist and I said, you know, what do I do now? You know, I, I don't want to lose my job, but she's getting violent. She's going to be violent on, on me. She's, you know, a threat to They said she has to go for antipsychotic drug testing. We have to get the right cocktail of antipsychotic drugs that will calm her down. That's the only thing will work at this point. And they said, well, how long will that take? And they said, well, we have the perfect hospital for it, which was just made for that. <clears throat> they said, it'll take about three weeks and you should take it easy. Maybe take a little trip, visit some family, and we'll take it from here. She's going to be monitored 24-7. And it was something like 28 possible drugs at the time. And we'll get the right mixture, and hopefully you'll take home a calm-down person for a wife. So about the three weeks went by, and they called me to come in. And I came in, and they said, Mr. Moment, the three drugs that we've only been able to find that will work at all, and we're not sure how long, are very powerful and we have to recommend totally that you do not take her home and you put her immediately in 24 seven care because this kind of, these kind of drugs, they just have to be continually be monitored with that patient all the time to see if there are any changes. If you take her home and she has a convulsion, you're gonna dial 911. They're not gonna know what to do. Yeah. Probably die. So that's, uh, so then we got into the full-time nursing care and, and she was, the drugs were applied and, and that's how she got into uh, full-time care. And even there, after a year, punched another man out after all these drugs. So mm. I mean, about some of these cases just keep going up. And then you reach a point where your whole body just starts to break down. Yes. Yeah. The thing about early onset is it has a sort of a, it's a, there's no cure from it. And it's, and it signals the end as it comes to an end, isn't it? Within a fairly... I mean, my colleague, my, my colleague, my friend, I think it was seven to eight, eight years or something. But uh... Uh, the, uh, in the very end, I mean, they called me uh, from the nursing home and some nine years went by though. Uh, female patients live uh, longer than males. Yes. They called me up and they said, Carmen probably won't make it through the day. You know, and they said, maybe you should get here because everything starts to break down. Yes. The 
goes, the lungs go, everything crashes. Alzheimer's is now crushed everything in your brain that can operate all those things. So I got hold of the kids, we ran over, and uh, in the afternoon we got there about six o'clock and she died at nine o'clock that night. So, you know, they knew what was going to happen. And so I have to say though, it was a little bit of a relief to see her in that condition for a woman that was one of the calmest people I ever knew. Yes. Fighting and, and, and roughing up people, it just wasn't her. So there was a little bit of a relief that it was over. And this is one of the things that I find constantly when you talk to caregivers is this idea and you know, I went through something not dissimilar with my own my own mother. A part of the, uh, you is guilty because actually you, you you want this thing to come to an end, because yes. and you're and you're wishing you're wishing for an end of the whole process because this is not the person this is not anyone you know anymore, um, That's right. and you know it's that thing about well. You know, I'm not a qualified caregiver or nurse. I, I don't have the skills for this. And, but you're yes. trying to do your very best, but you can't yes. with a person who just is out to get you. It's it's yeah. a trouble, isn't it? Yeah. It, and and the, the when the female is stricken, the male is more apt to say, "Listen, I can handle this. Get away." Yeah. Okay. I, you know, and they'll they'll refuse caregivers yeah. from the outside. I can do this. This is my wife. We're married thirty years. What are you talking about? I can handle this. And, and this case happened and I can, this one I almost called to the day. One of the men that I work with at the corporation came to me and he said, you know, my brother's wife has early onset, she's 51. And so I said, well, you know, Bill's gonna have to watch himself. I said, he's gotta take care of his own health. You know, they, you know what I've been preaching for years. And of course, Bill was, I'll take care of my wife, leave me alone. Yeah. Okay, I can do this by myself. I don't need anybody's help. I know damn sure I'm not gonna let an outside caregiver in here. And I said, if he keeps doing this, right, your immune system starts to crash. And you, yeah. don't even, you become susceptible to anything at that point, especially heart attack. Yes. Eight days later, the guy had a heart attack. Fortunately, there was a neighbor nearby. He could get a hold of. They got nine one one, got an ambulance in, got him to the hospital and saved him. Yeah. And that's how he learned. And then he hired a caregiver. It was the first thing he did, twenty four hours a day. Yeah. You know, so you need, that's why that caregiver's got to really help himself. And, and you know, for a lot of people, um, it's really expensive, isn't it? I mean, where, and for a lot of people, you can't afford it. I mean, where'd you get them from? <laughs> I don't know what your health system's like over there, but ours is a, in a bit of a mess at the moment. And, well, um, you know, it's, it's, it's eye-wateringly expensive, isn't it? So, so you can understand the driver that says, look, I can deal with this because maybe financially, I haven't got a lot of choice at the moment. Yeah, and, and of course we have a thing called Medicaid here. Yeah, and and uh, uh, if if you get approved for that, um, the the cost right when you apply for it, they let you in the nursing home. I mean, I had nowhere to go in there. They understood the case. Well, it's two hundred thousand dollars a year. That was you know that was that was the full time nursing, and I did get approved for Medicaid. You know, so that's what it cost the government for some nine years. After that, wow. So how did you deal with, because you have to be pretty resilient to be a carer. So what did you do to, to help yourself to get you through this process? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, Russell. One of the things that um, I, I, I thought it'd be a good idea to try to join in with uh, a carer group, a support group. Mm. So I said, let me, let me just see if I can find a support group. I want to maybe be with people that have to deal with what I'm dealing with. And I looked around I said, okay, I found one right here on my own. It's great. And 
I went in for my first meeting and everybody in there was like in their 70s at that time. Uh -huh. Patients were 80, 85, whatever. Yes. And I started talking about, you know, Carmen throwing things around a room. And these people, I, I think he got the wrong group, buddy. It's I don't know what you're talking about. That's how remote this was for them. So when I saw this, I said, I mean, there's nothing to help the early onset guys and gals, you know. So that's what I did. I started a, a support group uh, with a uh, two uh, social workers. And I, we called it Let's Do Dinner. So we, we tried to take everybody out to dinner, and usually 25 people or so, and um, let them have a glass of wine, have a nice dinner, and arrange for their patients or loved ones to be professionally watched. Yes. Now your head is clear. You're with the people you should be in the same situation. And of course, thanks to social media, everybody starts Facebooking each other and they become their own network. Yes. So there was a lot of work to do behind that. And, uh, but we did, I always felt good about it. It was giving me something to do. Yes. Because actually uh, I'm guessing you're saying that there's a lot of research that shows that you can, you can defer the, uh, the onset of some Alzheimer's, can't you, by diet and exercise and nutrition yes, and yes. stress reduction. So it's like, I mean, if it's genetic, as it sounds like in your wife's case, I think it's different, but. And they, uh, usually in the cases that are under 65, especially the younger ones, we lost our youngest patient on Long Island uh, just about two years ago. Mm. He was stricken at 32 and died at 43. Oof. You know, and, and with four out of four siblings in Carmen's case, all of the children have a higher risk by far. So yeah, in a genetic sense, you can almost count on it. Yeah. And, and the only way I could really track back on the genetic when I started to learn more about it myself was uh, <clears throat> we know that Carmen's mother died of uterine cancer and was very lucid when she passed. I remember Carmen telling me that, um, but I didn't know much about her father except that he was an alcoholic. And so I got a hold of one of the aunts in the Carmen's aunts in North Carolina. And I said, can you tell me anything about Carmen's father? You know, this is when I was writing the book. And she said, uh, oh, you know, he was an alcoholic. He was always drunk. And I said, was there anything about his behavior that was a little unusual, would you think? And she said, yeah, there was kind of one thing. She said that there was one period of time, we don't know where it, how it started, but he would go to lunch and couldn't find his way back to work. Uh. He was going home and wound up in the wrong borough. It's in Brooklyn, it's supposed to be in Queens, which is hours away by subway, and got lost on the subway. Click, that was it. I had heard enough. So it came from the father. Yes. And of course, at the time, they would have put it down to the alcohol, no doubt. But uh, yes, yeah. yeah. So they, that was the camouflage. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Really under there was, you know, was the altar. Yeah. Okay. Case like uh, Robin Williams. Robin Williams, a lot of people don't know, you know, actually really died from Louis Body's disease. Yes. That's a form of dementia. Yeah. And all you really saw in the paper, unless you followed up and saw these, some of the releases four or five days later, was that he was depressed. He did a lot of alcohol, hung himself, game over. Yeah. Louis Body's disease creates, it's one of the dementias that creates huge hallucinations. Yeah. That thing's coming at you. And he already had the drug problem, the alcohol problem, depression. Now you deal with this. He couldn't wait to find the rope to hang himself. Yes. You know, and it's and sad, it's sad it's one of the things, isn't it? I remember doing some strategy work with the cancer charity some years ago, and they were saying actually the, the biggest problem for cancer charities is the fact that there's this need for mental, you know, real mental health charitable work. This, you know, things like the dementias, the Alzheimer's, yes. some of those these these things, they're coming at us, and actually they're going to be a much bigger problem than cancer. Um, yeah. 
and of course the, the debilitating problem with them is that it's hard to spot them and it's once once you have them it's you can't cure it and like you can with cancer it's it's yeah. sort of that's it once you've got it isn't it yeah yeah it really is and uh you know as soon as the diagnosis in it's it's a, it's a sentence right there um and, and one of the other things too uh also is uh when i talk about this caregiver thing uh, we had an incident recently where i say that well the caregiver may not be necessarily uh, uh always in in jeopardy or being hurt or may die because of an actions of uh, a patient but a case happened this in, in recently and this is again where the, the the caregiver didn't go for help we had a big storm here a snowstorm march 3rd and uh in out in pennsylvania they had 27 inches of snow well wow. 12 or 15 on long island which wasn't so bad in in pennsylvania though a woman 67 years old early onset got out of her house in the middle of the night in the storm, in her pajamas, walked eight blocks from her house, became completely disoriented, and just laid in the snow. The snow was coming down so fast, yeah. she disappeared. There was no one out at that hour. Now, somehow or another, the caregiver, which I don't have the final word on it, but the assumption is the caregiver reported her missing at the quarter after four in the morning. Yeah. I think the caregiver could have been in such an exhausted state. Yes. Could have been thinking, and, and you read, I did the exact same thing. That's why I put this in the movie. That uh, you're saying, well, it's snowing outside. It's so heavy. She's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. That's the time I'm going to go. There's that light switch again. Yes. You know, oops, I thought about the wrong one and the light switch went this way. Yes. And and uh, they were so exhausted, I got up and said, yeah, I thought she went to the bathroom a long time ago. She's not back yet. And you, she's gone. And so you're you're on edge the whole time, I suppose. Yes, the whole time. It's like having a, one of those children that was heading for the hills. They're just running. Yes. So and, and when, you, when you you know drinking is part of this too. Mm. He might have had a few drinks just to sort of relax to get some sleep. Yeah. You don't sleep more than three or four hours. You're always exhausted. Yeah. And I drank too. I realized this isn't getting anywhere. This is getting worse. Yes. This too. So uh, and that woman died in that snow. Right. She found dead of hypothermia four hours later. Now, the caregiver today is probably killing themselves over this. Look at this. I screwed up. I fell asleep and I killed my wife. Yeah. That's what I caused her death. They didn't. Caregiver again. Yeah. yeah course, the caregiver went in reverse and caused the death of the patient. Yes. And I know you've written, so, so let's talk about your book and, and how to get hold of you. So your site is uh, patmoffat.com, okay, but you've right. written a book called Ice Cream in the Cupboard. And, and um and obviously it's streaming on amazon prime as well so it's obviously a film so so what was the what was the sort of motivation behind this uh it was just that i i saw this and, and was so surprised when we go back to the incident in puerto rico and then i had to learn about this and i'm saying what is called what is this you know and, and i'm forget and i don't forget i'm just 49 years old and she's 53 and and i think that the the night before the first incident that we had a little forgetfulness, um, we were planning on where should we invest to retire? You know, so this is gonna be fun. The kids are all gone now. Now we can go, let's, we know where our investments, let's find out something and, and plan on retiring. And, and uh, that's when everything just went completely sour the next day. Yes. And I remembered that, you know, going down months after that, that was the last good evening that we had. Yeah. So this is just too much. This is this this I can't even believe this happens. 
And I thought Corman's case was a record. 53, okay, I get Alzheimer's, but don't you get that at 80 or so, something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. And they went, are you kidding, buddy? You're, you're, you're just at the lower end of the spectrum. You know? And then of course I learned about our case on the ground, 32 years old, and the caregivers in my group on the support, 43, 45, 51. Yeah. It was incredible how many people showed up. Yeah. So what was the drive? The fact that they, you know, the, the inspiration. I got to do something about this. I got to get this in the public eye, nationally and international. Yeah. And that was my driving force. Brilliant. And um, as I can say, if you go and have a look at the sites, both of them, they're full of resources and full of interest and such like. And um, are you still running the support groups? Yeah, we tried to do it. And of course, you know, with COVID, everything changes. Of course. So uh, we're trying to do it now. They're, they've still staying in touch uh, and trying to get them in not so much a restaurant because you can't really do that anymore. Uh, but, you know, I, I tried to get them in with the restaurant, a relaxed atmosphere. You know, feel like you've stepped away from the disease and your loved one for just a few hours. Yeah. And that is that drive that it gives you that, you know, it, it drives you to go back and say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm re-energized. Let me jump back in the game. And I think that's what that evening does, you know, getting any other people. So yeah. that's what did that and that's where it came from. Well, that's a remarkable story, Pat. So yeah, details again, patmoffitt.com. And I see you're all over, all over the socials, ice cream in the yeah. cupboard, all over the, all Facebook, of, all of the yeah. socials. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So I encourage everyone to have a look and uh, I'll certainly be um, reading more about this later as well. Pat, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you. You take care. Okay, be well. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.